Hello, and welcome to Deprogram with Carrie Smith. Uh, this is a new channel. I should say that if it's your first time watching, if the algorithm suggested this video for you, you can hit like and subscribe if you want to see more deprogrammed interviews. I am very excited today to welcome my guest. Uh, his name is Neil James. He is a bit of a celebrity in the knitting world. So I'm, I know a, a lot of people, so many people told me I had to do this interview and I was like, who's this guy? Let me check out the magazine. And he is the editor of this new magazine called Blocked Magazine. He is also known as a mischievous troublemaker. Please welcome Neil. Hi, Neil. Uh, hello. Thank you. <laughs> Did I get that right? Mischievous troublemaker? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of that one. <laughs> so you, uh, I've covered some of the knitting wars, what I think of as probably the first battle in the knitting wars back when it was, there were different names that we can all point to, like people who were being attacked, like uh, uh, Marie Buskey, Maria Tuscan, Sockmetician. And then there have been subsequent battles since then. And you came to prominence in, in the knitting circles I know of in one of these subsequent battles. Um, we tell me a little bit about yourself. Like how did you start knitting and how did you get, how did you become a mischievous troublemaker? <laughs> well, I've always been a mischievous troublemaker, even from being a kid. Uh, but the knitting, um, I, I knitted as a child. My grandmother and my mother taught me how to knit. Uh, but I didn't like it. It didn't stick until I was ooh, in my mid-30s, I think. Or was I even 40? I can't remember. But I was giving up smoking, and I decided I needed to do something with my hands. So every time I wanted a cigarette, I knitted a row of knitting. And then since that moment, I've never smoked and now I'm addicted to knitting. So that's how I got into the world of knitting. Um, but that's, I've been on the... Can we sorry, stop what? there for a second? That's yeah. awesome. That, I mean, that's just an amazing thing. And an amazing thing to, uh, to use knitting for and to recommend it for is to cut other habits or bad behaviors that you don't want. Yeah, if you're already a knitter, <clears throat> I can't imagine it's going to work because, you know because uh, it's something you have to have something to concentrate on and something to do with your hands just to take the time of a craving to pass because i think i read a book um oh is it alan carr quite a famous guy who wrote a book about giving up smoking and uh, one of the things he said in that is that the the desire for a cigarette only lasts three minutes and if you can get past three minutes you won't need that cigarette and i think he was right and um and I knew when I was giving up, I planned it. I planned it to the day. I knew exactly when my last cigarette was going to be. And I knew I had to have something. So I had it all ready. So I hadn't picked up the needles. I, I literally put the cigarette out and then I picked up the needles. So I didn't, there wasn't any overlap. You know, well, that's I, good. Knew, I knew I couldn't do it. And it worked for me. I mean, it might not work for other people, but for me, it definitely did. Yeah, uh, but I was a chain smoker, you see. I literally, and when I knew I had to stop, I was smoking away as you do watching telly. And I was sat there thinking, oh, do you know what? I would love a cigarette now. And I actually had it in my hand lit and I was smoking it. And I, that's when I thought, this is a problem. <laughs> this is, I've got to stop this, you know? So that was, that was it. Because you already moment. had one going. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, can, that. I consider that a bit like, a, I imagine an alcoholic who's got, you know, a, a whiskey in the hand thinking, oh yeah, just love another whiskey now, you know, even though the, so it had gone beyond enjoying it 
you know, I wasn't in that moment of having the cigarette, you know, like after, you know, because the thing a lot of people who smoke alike is the after dinner cigarette or mm -hmm. the, you know, first thing in the morning cigarette where you're in that moment and enjoying it. And it had gone beyond that for me. Yeah. Um, so now I'm addicted to knitting. <laughs> Which is a good, it's a good addiction. To well, it's a good addiction. That. It's probably more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's more danger involved. <laughs> Well, tell us about that. What's some of the dangers? So you became a knitter to quit smoking. Yeah. And then how did you first encounter the, what we're, what we're calling the knitting wars? How did you first encounter this ideology that's sort of taken over that space? I'm not sure. I, I don't remember any particular moment, but I, I was watching a lot of online videos to learn techniques and things like that. And I think the more I was watching the there was um people like the grocery girls that i started to watch and i think there was a couple called the periscope sisters i think they were called i watched them as well and very very slowly i was becoming aware that there was a, an issue going on and at the time um or leading up to that time um it was um I was knitting and I wasn't involved with anybody in terms of knitting. I just did it on my own, watching videos and didn't communicate with anyone uh, about it. I joined Ravelry and I never I never went on any of the forums ever. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and I think um, the first real instance of any problem was around the time of Brexit or when Brexit became, not the vote itself, but as it was leading up to the vote. And that's when I realised that some of the knitters were insane. You know, that they, they couldn't accept, the British knitters this is, you know, they couldn't accept uh, somebody having a different opinion to them on Brexit. And obviously at the same time, there was the Donald Trump thing, that was before he was elected, and that's that was all building up. But I, and I, unfortunately, I can't really remember the timeline, but I started, um, I got friendly online. Why I did, oh, I think I've read a blog and it was by Gregory Patrick, and he calls himself um, uh, Madman Knits. Sorry, it just went for a second okay. then. And his story was that he was homeless and he knitted his way out of homelessness. Um, can't say that word. Uh, and it's quite an interesting story. And it did come on, um, na well, it was on international news, small, but international news. We heard about it here. And, um, and I think I contacted him or I read his blog and I messaged said, oh, yeah, that's whatever. What? And we got chatting and we kind of became online friends. And from there, I ended up guest vlogging on his vlog. So every week I would do a five minute segment that he would sort of put into his vlog. There were other people that did it as well. And that's how I first sort of got some of the backlash from but I was still minor, you know, nobody really, because it was only a very, very small channel. Um, and then we had the Ravelry drama, and that's when I really was first introduced to it all, when Ravelry happened. Um, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, is where Ravelry... Hold, hold on one second. Uh, I'm going to edit here. We'll come okay. back. We're talking about Ravelry. Um, I'm doing my hands so I can <laughs> yeah. see it. Yeah. Uh, there's a mic, there's a microphone buzz that's happening. Do you hear it oh. too? Oh, do you hear every once in a while? I think it, it might be when you're leaning. What kind of microphone are you using? This one. Is this any good or? Uh, that's great. But, um, when, we need to move it. It, 
no, I think where it's at is fine. It's weird. I was trying to hear when it's happening. I think it's when you're, are you touching it at all or anything? No, I'll move my phone away in case it's my phone. Okay. I wonder if it's, it's not the microphone on the computer, do you think, in, interfering with this microphone? Um, I don't know. It's it's weird. Everything's fine. And then every once in a while it goes, zzz. Oh, right. Uh, I don't hear it right now at all. So maybe it's the phone. Maybe the phone being near okay. it was affecting it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get right back into. You were about to explain for anybody who doesn't know what Ravelry is. Okay. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what happened with Ravelry is uh, after was it after Donald Trump was elected? I can't remember whether it was around. It was around that time anyway. They made the decision that um, anybody that supported Donald Trump was inequivocably i can't say that word so hopefully that's right uh, a white supremacist there was absolutely no discussion about it if you're a trump supporter you are a white supremacist you're a racist you're a bigot and so on and they decided that they didn't want um, anybody who was a trump supporter on ravelry and that was when i left ravelry because i thought right well i'm off i'm going you know because i although i'm in england i was a trump supporter and um, and the vitriol and the hatred from that was shocking. Now it's not. Now you know. Now it's every day. But then I was. I just couldn't understand how people could be so evil. And I was hearing the stories um, from other people, like um, Deplorable Knitter, uh, who called herself Deplorable Knitter. Yeah. Of the event because of all of this um and i just couldn't believe and the lies that they were saying about people as well which now i understand because they're telling lies about me all the time now um and it was so it was that that brought my attention you know where it came to my attention and then also uh, there were people that were cancelled in america that they didn't i didn't really come across them because i wasn't in america and i didn't necessarily follow a lot of american knitters at the time but then when Nathan Taylor was cancelled, because he was British, mm. and I did follow him, and it was interesting because Nathan Taylor and I had a an extremely, um, oh, what's the word, um, intense argument about a year prior to his cancellation, because he condemned people at the time for supporting Trump. So we had a real bust up, you know, and a lot of his followers were piling on and they cancelled cancelled me then, you know, but even though nobody knew who I was. Um, and, um, but the interesting thing, when what happened to Nathan Taylor happened, I immediately thought, no, this isn't right. You know, because he and I had our row, we moved on. You know that neither of us wanted to destroy the other you know we, we'd had our right we agreed we didn't agree with each other we didn't like each other you know move on um but i thought no the the level of hatred and the lengths that they went to to try and destroy him and then when he was ill and in hospital they were you know one they didn't believe him or if they did they were hoping it was worse than it was and things like that yeah. Um, and I did reach out to him at the time and I sent him a message. He didn't reply because, um, well, he probably didn't reply to anyone at that point. You know, why yeah. would he? Um, but, it was, but that was, at that point, I felt, I'm, I want to do something about this, but I didn't yeah. know what. Um, I didn't have any kind of platform. You know, I was a nobody, you know, so I thought, well, what can I do? So in the back of my mind, I'd sort of made little plans of what I could do. And I thought, right, well, I could create a channel and talk on YouTube. And then I thought, well, what, I don't know what I would say. Um, and then I thought, oh, I'd quite like to do a magazine, really. So it was always there, but 
it, there was never a right moment for it. Um, and then uh, there were a few other incidents that happened. Um, a, a guy called Stephen B, who runs a store uh, in, is it Minnesota? Um, it's where, where George Floyd um, happened. That uh, That's where his store is. I know they went for him at one point, and I was sort of watching to see what happened, and that kind of died down quite quickly, so I'm not sure how that all resolved itself. And also, at one point, they went for Stephen West as well. But again, that died down as well. It kind of something happened behind the scenes. I don't know how. Um, but then Christy Glass happened, and... Christy Glass was huge in the knitting world, the online knitting world. Everybody knew who she was. Like her all over, you knew who she was. And she did a lot of good for the knitting world. I wasn't particularly a fan, but I used to watch some of her shows. And um, she she has a, a manner about her that I, I imagine comes from being a New Yorker. I know she's not originally from New York, but she lives in New York. She's a singer and a dancer and an actress, and she's gone millions of uh, auditions, I would imagine. And in New York, my view on it is that people, I think, get very hard and know what they want. And I imagine she's very direct in how she speaks to people. And mm. she, they cancelled her, basically, over something ridiculous, which was uh, showing a magazine cover of Michelle Obama and uh, what they did to her was really bad and can <clears> you <throat> can i can we stop here for a second because yeah. the christy glass one is one of the battles that i did hear about that was more, a more recent one and for yeah. anybody who's not familiar with it you correct me if i'm wrong but she was simply commenting on a magazine cover that was about michelle obama being a knitter and didn't she say something to the effect of you know, why aren't they showing any of her knitting? It, yeah, the on, the, on the cover, it was Michelle Obama. She wasn't wearing any knitting, and she didn't have any knitting in her hand. And for a knitting magazine, that's like one of the main things you would expect. You know, there's usually someone, even if they're famous, they would either be wearing something or have something in their hands to show their knitter. And I don't think, I've never read the magazine, but from what I've heard, I don't even think there's any knitting inside the magazine when you read the article either. Now, she said that, and also she, I think she said something like, oh, and why is her wedding ring on the, on the wrong hand? And it's obviously because they'd flipped, mm. you know, they'd flipped the cover because it might have looked better, because often it looks better when it's mirror-imaged. And so she, the only thing she criticised was Vogue, you know, their choices in what they did with the cover, basically. But because Michelle Obama is, you know, a black icon, and because Vogue historically hasn't had many black women on the cover they when i say they the the person in particular who I'll, I'll talk about more probably a bit later on she called christy glass out as if she was you know the most awful person on the planet and the way she did it was one of the worst things i've ever seen somebody say you know for somebody who hadn't done anything wrong it's like christy glass murdered her child you know, wow. the way she talks about her. Um, and I, I watched the video of it a few times and could not believe what I was hearing. And what I couldn't believe was that nobody was saying anything. It's like, hang on a minute, you know, it's hang on a minute. The, the villain of this piece is not Christy Glass. You know, this is over a magazine cover. Um, and 
I thought, no, I've got to say something. So I went online and I, I think all I wrote, I may have got this wrong, I don't know, but I think all I wrote was, um, until Adela shows evidence of Christy Glass being a, a racist, people should ignore her. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And Absolutely. It, and from there, it kind of blew up. And I was being bombarded with insults. And on, on that particular day, I was on form. You know, you know, some days you're really good online, mm-hmm. you're a Twitter warrior, you know. And I had, you know, brilliant answers for everything that they were saying and throwing at me. And it got me noticed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I by people like-minded knitters. Um, and I think over the course of a few days, I gained about a thousand followers on Instagram because I think I had 300 followers at the beginning of it all. And then, you know, it seemed like overnight there were a thousand more people following me, you know, which was like, wow. wow. Um, but yeah, they they were insulting everything about me, you know, my cats, and you know, everything. They, they There was nothing sacred to them, you know. They, and it was ridiculous. They were saying things like, um, oh, you know, you are a despicable human being. So I'd just reply with things like, well, I can't be good at everything. You know, sort of, <laughs> they weren't, I don't think they were used to that kind of. They humor. don't like humor. They, <laughs> when when they, they attack you, they expect you to react. Um, the, the, the way someone being attacked would normally react, which is they want you to take them seriously and the yeah. attack seriously. And even if you react with animosity and uh, as long as you show them that you're hurt by it, they, they love it. Yes. And, and if you're just mocking them, Oh gosh. (laughs) I can't remember uh, most of them, but I know I was um, the girls from politically incorrect knitters. Obviously I was, I've been in touch with them for a while before. And so we weren't strangers, but they contacted me and they asked me if they could interview me about it all. Sorry, I've got, this is not. Hi kitty. This is one of my ugly cats, as they said. <laughs> they were, they were, um, so uh, he's hiding. I, I told you before we started recording, well, I'll tell the audience too. Back during the first round of Knitting Wars, my dog Tiger, who has an Instagram, Tiger Can Type, he became one of the most blocked dogs on Instagram because the, because of the knitting <laughs> cults. <laughs> they were passing around block lists and he was on it. That was, okay. <laughs> That's just brilliant. Silly. So he's like, Worse than Hitler's dog. <laughs> yeah, you got to get a you got to get an Instagram for your awful cats. Oh, um, I'm going to. I'm going to use that idea definitely. <laughs> well, they're my ugly cats. They're not even yeah, awful. ugly cats. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I appeared on um, politically in- incorrect knitters, and they did an interview. And uh, apparently, in the chat, I couldn't see the chat, but people were talking about my best moments and you know telling each other the things that I'd said you know, to these people, but I, I didn't see much of that. But it was, um, but the abuse that I got, I don't know, you've probably experienced this, um, the, it was so bad that Instagram automatically closed, uh, well, not closed down my account, but they turned off comments on all of my Instagram things. And then I got this automated message uh, basically saying, you know, so, you know, I can't remember the words now, but, you know, so many people are, you know, saying things or attacking you or whatever that we've taken it off so people you can't see them. Um, and, you know, worried about my mental health kind of thing. Oh. I mean, it's automated, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like someone was there caring. Um, so for a while, and because it had just gone quiet from having like hundreds. I mean, it was like, it felt like there was just a constant bombardment of people and hatred. Uh, it just went very quiet. 
And I was like, what's happened? You know, I was thinking something big is about to happen. And then I got this message from Instagram. I was able to take that off afterwards. Um, but it was, I think that kind of shows the amount of people trying. I think they were right. trying to, you know, get my account taken down, I think. And since that moment, there is a regular... Uh, you know, they're constantly trying to get them taken down for ridiculous things. You know, it's, it never ends every day. Oh, yeah. Things, you know? I believe it. Yeah. It's been quite, um, it's been interesting and sometimes very funny because, you know, the way they do things, they don't realize it is actually funny. Um, like one of the, I don't know if you want to talk about this at the moment, but I've got a stalker now. You know, I've, I've um, got a serious stalker and they keep creating new accounts. Now, what they've done is they know where I live because uh, they've let me know in really subtle ways. I'm not going to say how because other people looking at this will be able to figure it out. But they've let me know that they know my address by using my address in certain phrases that they've said, mm. things like that. Um, they know some things about me as well. And um, they keep creating new accounts that I have to try and get taken down because they're impersonating me as well. So they've got me, my picture, my name. Oh, yeah. And usually with a silly thing written underneath it, like, um, I don't know, the chief, uh, what is it, chief of the Flat Earth Society, I think the latest one is. Um, and then they're trying to share things that I've said, but out of context, so it looks worse than it, you know, was yes. when you see the whole thing together. Um, so some of them have managed to get taken down and some of them are still there and it just keeps going on and on and on. But one of the latest ones, which is actually funny, is that I've been having a, a long conversation with a gay man on Twitter who claims that he would date a trans man. So okay. you have to, you have to work biological out. woman. Yeah. yeah. So a gay man who would date a woman who was now a man. Okay. And so I said, but you know what, even if they didn't have a penis basically, and they were saying, well, yeah. And I said, well, I don't believe you. I mean, I can't remember the words we used, but it was like that. So I said, well, I don't believe you would do that, you know, because why won't you just sleep with a woman then? You know, it's pretty much the same thing, you know. And um, and as part of that at the end of it, so I said, well, would you, would you go with someone who was overweight? You know, I think I said, would you go with an overweight man or an obese man? And then that ended the conversation because obviously they wouldn't. You know, it's like they'll go with um, a woman that's become a man as long as they're thin. So anyway, what this person has done, which is clever, it did make me laugh. They've just taken, would you date an obese man? <laughs> so it looks like I'm begging people to date me. <laughs> and I thought, that's sort of tipped my hat. I thought, you know, that's clever. That was, that was <laughs> See, that's, this is something they don't have, the ability to laugh when the other one, it's like, oh, oh touche. I see what you've done there. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the hashtags they use, which again is clever, is um, I don't know how big the Smiths were in the USA. I'm not sure whether they mm -hmm. were a big band there. Pretty big. And um, the the hashtag was "I am human and I need to be loved," which is a, a line from one of the Smith songs. I just thought, yeah, got a round of applause for that one. <laughs> uh, by the way, how could anyone want to hate on you? You have such a fun, jubilant energy. Oh, and <laughs> I was going to ask you, are you a real beard Santa? Because you got the beard. <laughs> what do I do, Santa work? Is that what you're well, there, it's a group. You know, do you know about real beard Santas? 
I'm, I don't know about it, but I'm kind uh, of okay. jumping to conclusions. So well, yeah. they, it's like a whole group of Santas, and they ha you have to have a real beard. They have all these different rules, and you know they <laughs> they a lot of them make a good living at Christmas time dressing as Santa. Anyway, I've met I got to interview one once. They have a special uh, ring, and you get it when you're in it. And anyway, oh, it's a bit you, like being in the Freemasons with a funny handshake. <laughs> yes, but it's about Santa, and you could. You could totally be one if you ever wanted. <laughs> well, I'd have to like kids though. And I don't uh, really like kids. <laughs> you could be the real, yeah, real beard Santa who just sits with cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cats on my lap—that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you've been dealing with the stalker. You've had a lot of abuse hurled your way, and at some point, you decided, "I'm going to start a magazine in the knitting world," and. What what prompted you to do this? Well, although it was it had been in the back of my mind, I think as mentioned before, it'd been there sort of just, you know, I could do this maybe, but who would read it? Well, the, what I realized is in life you have to you have to jump on the moments that come along. And when I got a bit of notoriety from the politically incorrect girls when they put me on their platform. In that interview, while I was talking, that's when I decided to do the magazine. And I actually said at the end of the interview, I'm launching a magazine. You kind of just, I just blurted it out. And then it had to be done. I had to do it. Yeah. So afterwards, I was like, <laughs> you know, what, what now? What we're going to do now? Uh, but instantly, the amount of support that I was getting from people, people, you can have my pattern for this, you can do that, you know, can I write for you? Can I do this? And so everything to do with the magazine has been completely on goodwill. So it's really interesting now, there's so much hatred surrounding it, but the people involved in it, everything's, you know, nobody's charging for anything. You know what I mean? It's all been doing, you know, people are giving me their patterns that they could charge seven dollars a p you know a go for you know for every person that buys it and they're giving them to me you know so it's um and i don't i'm not i don't get the chance to thank those people enough really so hopefully they'll see this and know how grateful i am for that otherwise there'd be my patterns and trust me they'd soon get bored of those you know people <laughs> wouldn't want to see those that often you know <laughs> it, it makes me think of it's like in the midst of all this awfulness these, you know, the attacks and the vitriol and the resentment and everything that comes from that social justice ideology infiltrating the knitting world, all of that dung and from <laughs> that dung is sprouting these beautiful flowers, <laughs> you know, it's like this beautiful thing that's growing, that's coming. Well, it's like they say that. the night sky, isn't it? It's all black, but there are the the stars yeah. shining. I'm not saying I'm a star, that is what I'm saying at all, but. Um. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, no, it is. It's like stars in the in the dark sky. I love it. So you've done two issues of the magazine now, correct? Yeah. yeah and right. the name itself is a funny pun because <laughs> when I hear blocked, I think of social justice people blocking people, and there's a lot of block lists in that knitting world, Instagram knitting world. Um, but blocked is also for anybody who's watching who's not a knitter. Blocked is a knitting term. It is. Yeah. So when you've knitted or crocheted a garment, um, when you knit it, it's because um, wool, especially if it's wool, it has a memory. So whatever you do with wool will stay that way. So when it's been in a ball, it's, um, oh, it's hard to explain. So when you've knitted something, if you've ever, if you've ever seen, <laughs> if, you've ever, uh, if you've ever seen a, a piece of knitting unraveled, it's all kinked and curled, and that's because he's playing with the microphone now. Sorry about this. Uh, that's because <laughs> the, the wool has memory, and it stayed in a 
right. in that kind of telephone cord way. So when you've knitted something or crocheted something, you have to generally wash it so it's wet, and then you have to pin it out to dry, and then that kind of sets it in its new in its new form, and it will stay in that form until the next time it's wet and then dried again. And that process is called blocking. Um, and I liked the idea of the word blocking for all, you know, for what you were saying about people being blocked. Also, because you're taking something and you're fixing it in its new form, you know, so I'm taking, well, in my mind, I'm, I'm hoping to take the bad stuff that's happened and do something positive with it. Uh, but also blocked in terms of, um, you know, I could go on forever about this, like a brick, a block, a brick, you know, throwing your brick at a glass house. You know, there's that saying, isn't there? You know, don't throw bricks if you live in a glass house. Also, there's blocked as in blocking people from being hurt. You know, I'm hoping people will direct everything at me. This hasn't happened, by the way, because there's already been another person cancelled since blocked has been out. But I would rather they sent all their hatred towards the magazine rather than picking on somebody else. You know, because I can take it. You know, it's not nice, but I can laugh about it and I can I can write about it. Because this is a thing that I think they're very wary of now, is that I can choose whoever I want to and write whatever I want to about them. You know, so there's a I have a voice now, which other people don't necessarily have unless they've got a forum. Or they get that voice taken away, like with Christy Glass. Her voice was ripped away from her. Um, and I, I find that... Um, upsetting you know for them I'd, i'm i one of the buttons that um you know when people press your buttons one thing that gets me angry or upset is when something is unfair yes. and what's happened to nathan what happened to christy what's happened to all those people that have been cancelled was not fair and they've been demonized for something they didn't do um what sorry. happened with with christy what was the fallout with her so they attacked her and called her racist and you said there was one person in particular, Adele, who did a video. Yeah. But but what were the repercussions? Oh, I think for her, um, I think it almost destroyed her, I think. Um, she Because she had a very popular YouTube channel that she was able to make money from. And she also had a Patreon account. And I think she was making a lot of money on that. I don't know. I'm only surmising about this now. Um, but she was well known by everybody and everybody wanted to be on her channel. You know, if you, if you were a, an indie dyer or if you were a designer, excuse me, you wanted to be on that channel because she she made the careers of some people, you know, by them being on that channel. You know, she made them famous in the knitting world. Um, so when it first happened over the magazine, she, she did the fatal error of apologizing mm. and i can't stress this enough to anybody you know even if you're on the other side of this argument and you're not you know you're one of the woke people yourself if you get accused of something online like this never apologize because the moment you do they then read it word for word they look at every phrase you've used and they will find something racist or homophobic or bigoted in the most innocent of phrases mm -hmm. you've used and when somebody apologizes there's always an element of self-protection in that in that apology i'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist so this is just my you know high school psychology you know you you want to do that i'm sorry but the reason i did it was x you know or that day i was having a bad day and that's why i said it you know but the moment you do that these people will hone in on that and make they'll say that you're centering 
everything about yourself. Yes. And you can't win with this with this kind of weirdness that they have. So she apologized and immediately they jumped on that. And then there was another video that Adela made. So Adela was the person that raised the the racist alarm, if you like, in the first place. And then she kind of doubled down and really went in for the kill. And um, she after the apology. Yeah, after the apology. Yeah. And um, can I can I cut in here for a second yeah. the, about the apology? It, it, everything you're saying is true, and I think uh, people who make the mistake of uh, apologizing to the mob they don't realize that they still they're still making the mistake of thinking that these people are reasonable, yeah, and that and yeah. that that they're acting in good faith. And if you make a good faith apology, a good faith person will will accept it. That's not what's happening. The demanded apology that it's it's a it's a game, and if you if you capitulate and and do the demanded apology, you're now doing two things. You're on the one hand, you're saying yes, everything you said about me is true. You're accepting their presupposition. You're basically telling them, yeah, you're right. I was a racist or whatever it was you accused me of. You're you're accepting that. So now they've taken that as an acceptance of what they first said about you. And the second thing you're doing is you're giving them that power over you. To, you're showing them that you can you can force me to do whatever you want. Continue if you continually put the pressure on me and call me names and things that I'm not, I will bend the knee to you. And so they see it's like it's like blood in the water. The second Absolutely. you do that apology, yeah, yeah, it's almost a bit like pleading guilty in court. So it's yeah. like if you don't plead guilty, there's no there's um. You've, there's got to be a trial, hasn't there? You know, there has to be evidence provided. But the moment yeah. you plead guilty, there's no trial. Well, there is still a trial, but there's no evidence needed because you're saying you did it. Correct. Um, yeah, so I would always say just keep your mouth shut. You know, in, come off social media for two or three weeks. Don't engage with anybody, you know, unless you're happy to go. You know, if you're like with me, say I'm happy for the cut and thrust of the fight. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. Um, but I've done it a different way around. I've kind of started off cancelled. You know, I've you know I deliberately did it that you know I've not tried to make my name by being woke and being all lovely and nice and then you know falling from that pedestal. I was never on the pedestal, so I don't have anything to lose in that way. Um, but yeah, um, you're absolutely right with that. It's, uh, it's it is the blood in the water, and they are like sharks. And I and when you say about um, you know thinking they're reasonable, it's because we all, as as people, I think we all think what would we do in this situation to yes. this person, and we know that we would be reasonable and say, yes. okay, apologize. And that this is where the problem lies: is that it's like when you have country. Let's look at Putin and what's going on in Ukraine. It's like we look at countries, look at other countries, and expect them to do what we do as people. You know, so whatever Putin is doing over there, they don't understand what his his mindset is to do that. So it's like, why would somebody do that in another country? But we don't know what his reasons are. But it's the same kind of thing. It's like they're not necessarily going to, you know, although we don't either, do we? I was going to say we don't stick to the Geneva Convention ourselves these days. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were supposed to be the good guys, weren't we? You know, and now... Right. Um, but anyway, I'm going off topic there, sorry. Um, so, yeah, we can't ever expect 
other people to do what we think we would do in that situation. Yeah. And so you said after she made the apology, then, of course, as we noted, happens, then they went in further. And so then Adela made, she completely. She made another video. Yeah. And I think what she said in the first video, one of the accusations that she'd made about Christy was that they'd had a private uh, direct message com- conversation about doing an interview at an event. This is where it kind of the waters get a bit muddy because it's a little bit um, confusing. Is that Christie created a separate business called? Um, oh, sorry, the name's gone. I can't remember. Uh, but she had this separate business. It was to do with knitting and it was to do with events. And they were going to do interviews, but it was going to be different from her normal interviews. So the idea was is that they hired. Um, an, an area, a place, and they had a film crew that they'd hired, um, you know, quite high production value, apparently. And then Adela was going to be one of the guests. But part of that was, I think they were very open about this, part of that was that she would have to pay for that, you know, to, towards what was going on. So I think it was a, a 200 was it $200? I think they were asking to be, and that would mean she would be... Um, you know, advertised on whatever this platform was. Mm. And it wasn't the usual interview that she did. So it's a bit like you doing this interview now, but Mm. then in the future, creating a company where you would, you know, be if I had a product, you would be plugging my product. But Mm. then you say, well, this is how much it's going to cost you to be on this. So she had a choice whether she went on it or not. But what she did was she tried to make out that uh, Christie had charged her only because she was black, and that because all of the other people had been on her channel for free, which right. is kind of you can you know if she was confused you can all right you could see that but then she would say to Christy Glass as a as a well I would I'd say well why are you charging me Christy you didn't charge you know this and then she would have been able to say oh it's because it's a different thing and it's this that and the other you know and then you would have had the choice to say no but in part of this conversation that she had instead she was very strange and oh yeah sorry i'm jumping ahead a little bit here but she accused um christy glass of being really horrible to her on this in this direct message so christy the only thing she has ever said since the event was she published the the conversation in its entirety Mm. and I managed to get a copy of it somebody sent it to me because it was deleted quite soon afterwards and I read everything in it and I sort of stood it I've still got it but I'm I'm not sharing it because it's a private conversation between Adela and Christy and I don't have the permission to use it but all I will say is that Christy I read it and I thought wow she's a lovely person you know, she was absolutely lovely to Adela. And Adela was sort of doing this very um, umming and ahhing. You know, like, imagine, like, when you contacted me, you've had me say, oh, well, yeah, I might come on your show. But, um, you know, d- doing a lot yeah. of that. And Christy, uh, Christy was just very, um, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, very very professional but very kind and there was an issue that Adela had raised a personal issue she had and Christy was lovely about this personal issue you know really caring and um, so anyway she shared it so then Adela did another video because she shared this thing and basically oh she was venomous you know she really really went in and um one of the things was say she said things like um oh, what did you think sharing that would do? Do you think it would make me out to be a liar? And so when I wrote about it, it was like, yes, 
you know, it did make you happy. <laughs> you know, yes. You said she was horrible to you and she was anything but horrible. She was absolutely lovely to you, you know, and you are a liar. And, you know, you can say that without any fear of being sued because, you know, the evidence is there to see, you know. Yeah. Um, and the video, this second video that she did, that's the one that was the shocker for me. It was, she went for everything about her. I mean, we um, we talked a little bit about re uh, religion before the show, didn't we? But um, I'm not religious, but I I was brought up religious. So I do have that respect sort of mm. ingrained and I have no issue with people who are religious. But, um, and Christy is, um, I don't know much about because they're not huge in this country, but I think she's a Mormon. Oh, so okay. Um, there are issues that Adela had over her beliefs. But the thing is, that's her beliefs. And if, she, you know, whatever they are, if she isn't doing anything directly to hurt you using those beliefs, what business is it of yours, what she believes and doesn't mm -hmm. believe? You know, she never mentioned it in her knitting pro, uh, things at all. And I think the only reason people know is that she did a separate religious program with somebody outside of the knitting world which was aired so people must have found it that way that's the only reason people know so anyway one of the things adela did was she oh she ripped apart she kept calling it you know your god your god isn't the good god i follow your god is an evil god um completely deranged you know it's kind of like what are you talking about? You know, why yeah, Why yeah. are you going for her religion? What has that got to do with her holding up a picture of Michelle Obama? You know, um, she was calling her all sorts of weird things. I mean, this might be more of an Americanism, but a raggedy, raggedy ass something or other. I mean, I've never Oh, uh, yeah. It's a calling Americanism. Her that a lot. By the um, way, you're not being a good representative for your God. <laughs> if you're <laughs> behaving in such a way, yeah. who is your who is your God? Because it sounds like I don't know. Nice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the other things, uh, I mean, there was so much of it. I can't remember all of it now, but um, oh, what were the other things? Um, oh, yeah. She said to her followers, um, and she said it more than once. I think she said it three times. Um, she doesn't like you. She would kill you if she could. And she repeated that phrase. So it's like, oh, so you're you're saying she would kill people? You know, that's quite a thing to say. You know, it's um, and it's not just saying, oh, she doesn't really like you. That you know, that's quite. It just is unwarranted. It's not needed. Um, she talked about what she looked like and how haggard she was these days, and how you know, um, oh, I can't remember all of it now. I mean, I, I wrote a, a transcript of it, so I had to listen to it quite a few times. And the transcript is seven pages long of, you know, standard 12-point wow. text. Um, and uh, I managed to reduce it down to, I think, a 10-point text. So it went over three or four pages. And that is the basis of the article that I wrote about her, is because is, it was all mostly in her own words. And that's what I wanted people to see. Because I think, I don't think people saw this video. You know, nobody, because the what she did was a thousand times worse than what these imagined insults christy glass had done you know yeah. adela should have been cancelled not that i believe in cancelling but that was warranted for her you know she should yes. be shunned for what she said for that you know not that i you know you know what i mean yeah. um whereas christy hadn't done anything wrong you know in my eyes but everybody is now saying that that adela was the victim of this evil racist christy um i mean and i did um, a bit of a a dive into track because I I approached it 
as if, all right, let's approach this as if Christie is a racist. Let's find the evidence for Christie being a racist. So I looked through what was available, because she'd taken all of the videos down, but I looked through a lot of the videos and uh, were available and the photos that were available. And when you find Christie with black women, they love her. You know, black women used to flock to her. You know, when she, she used to do something called Tell Me About Your Rhinebeck Sweater. And Rhinebeck is a festival somewhere in New York State somewhere. And what happened was she did it one year, which is what made her famous. And she interviewed people about whatever sweater they had knitted. And now every year since, not now, obviously, but every year since, whenever they saw Christy Glass stood with her sign that said, tell me about your Rhinebeck sweater, all these women would just be running over, giggling like schoolgirls, you know, wanting mm. to be interviewed by Christy Glass, including black women. So the the argument there is that, well, if, if Christy was such a racist, why were these black women not clued in enough to realise that she was a racist? You know, why, why wouldn't you notice that? Um, and anyway, I, I couldn't find it. So I kept sharing these pictures of Christy Glass with black women saying, Will nobody stop this evil racist? Because <laughs> it was so obvious she wasn't. And then the other thing Adela said, which I thought was the crux of the entire thing, was she said, and it isn't just black women. She said it's Latinos. Is it Latinos or Latinx? I don't know. I, no, they, they try to they're trying to make Latinx a thing. It's not a thing. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's my Britishness. I'm not. I'm not completely au okay with everything. Um, yeah. So it's not just black people. It's Latinos. It's um, it's white people. It's Asian people. It's gay people. It's trans people. So so basically, what you're saying is that she's just a bitch to everybody. So she isn't a racist. You know, it's like, so she's just horrible to you then, you know. So all these people, by listing them all, she disproved her entire point that she was a racist yeah. because her attitude is the same to everyone, which I think is where this comes from, is that she's direct. You know, she would say to me, oh, stand there, the light's better here. You know, you you, you probably get this because you know what you want to mm -hmm. see. Um, and she probably hasn't got the time to be, oh, please, would you just mind stepping one step, you know, and then explaining it. She probably just, oh, stand there, move. Or, you know, and I, I imagine that's how she is quite brusque. Well, that in itself is not racist or bigoted or no. discriminatory. Um, and the other thing was she accused her of being homophobic. And that made me laugh because I remember watching a video where she went on holiday to Iceland with Stephen West, who's like a really famous gay knitter designer. And they had a week in Iceland together herding sheep, you know, and I, it's like, that isn't what a homophobic person would do. No. You know, you wouldn't. They, they've, they've stripped these words of all meaning, racism, homophobia, sexism, just like they've stripped the words you know, woman and man of meaning. And they, they, it's a, I think sometimes people don't realize if you're just bumping into social justice ideology for the first time and it's being sold to you as this, this honorable movement to end racism and sexism and other forms of identity-based oppression. And it sells itself as something really noble. Um, but, but at the, at the bottom of it, like if you, tear down the way it sells itself like and you look at the behavior it encourages and what is it really teaching it teaches all the things it's telling you that it's trying to <laughs> correct it does yeah. and yeah. and how do they do that how do they get people who are against racism to behave in racist ways they have to destroy language and yes. what words mean 
He's, he's and, very Orwellian, isn't he? He's literally yes. 1984. Yeah, because it's interesting at the moment with the, the trans issue, because I, I noticed you interviewed, um, oh, sorry, I'm going to get a name wrong. And, and Sarah Hickton? No, uh, she's a... a Helena. And Andrea something, um, Scaturo. Uh, oh, Ariel. Ah, Ariel, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I've watched quite a few of her videos because I like watching her because she's funny. And it's like, you know, what's going on in that world is that trans, let me get this right, men who now say they're women are demanding that lesbians have sex with them because yes. otherwise they're transphobic. Yes. So basically that is a form of homophobia. You know, yes. that... And, and it's happening in the with gay men apparently now. So you have women. Let me get this right. Yeah, I have to really think about this. Women that are now men, demanding that you know gay men have sex with them. And it's like, well, you know, oh, that you're and that if you say no, you are what is it? You're uh, reducing them to genitalia. Well, my view on it is, it's like, well, I can not that not that there's a long queue, but I can reject anybody that wants to have sex with me for any reason whatsoever it doesn't even have to be a reasonable reason the same way anybody else could reject me for any reason they want to and if you don't agree with that simple right over your own body that you're probably a rapist you know there there's a so you mentioned 1984 one of my other favorite dystopian novels is brave new world and if if you haven't read it recently i would say read it now again is, as huxley? is it huxley? yeah it's huxley yeah. And there's a part in that book, it's sort of like uh, 1984 is like, in some ways you could say this is a dystopian future based on it's sort of what would happen if the if the right wing went fully authoritarian. And, and and you could say Brave New World in that in that respect is a is a dystopian novel about what could happen if the left went fully authoritarian. Uh -huh. They're both authoritarian futures, they're a little bit different. Um, and in Brave New World, they they believe in this new future society that everyone's body, everyone belongs to everyone else. And if someone says, I want you to have sex with me, you have to. And they actually start programming kids at a young age. They force them to do sexual play in this dystopian future. This is happening. This yes. Is happening now. Yes. Oh. You got to read it. It's, I just got goosebumps telling you about it. It's like yeah. you're reading and you're like, wait a minute. Some of these things are already sort of we're moving well, in that direction it makes you wonder doesn't it whether what came first were these ideas there that these authors sort of picked out because they were hearing certain things and were somehow prophetic or is it that people read these novels and thought well that's a good idea you know and have actually made it happen i think they were prophetic and i think that's because oh, hold on that's my doggy is he all right <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Neil, he, I thought it was the mailman, but it's not. It's, there's a cat, like, the neighbor's cat gets under my house sometimes. <laughs> he's very upset. Look at him. He's on oh. alert. I know. It's okay, buddy. Come here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's cute. 
Yeah. He's like, what's he called again? Tiger. Tiger. Yeah. Tiger can type. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we just refresh before I start again. What was I talking about? I was talking about? Oh, prophetic. Yes. Okay. So I think I think some of these writers were actually prophetic because history repeats itself in a way. Or no, no, no. We're gonna have to start over. He's too upset. Hold on. I'll be right back. Okay. I, I gotta put him out. <laughs> Is it your turn now? You want to be in on the show? It's funny, I was hoping I wouldn't have to edit this one, but there's going to be lots of edits now. <laughs> is, I'm just going to check, is it better with the light off now or still on? Because it seems to be glaring a little bit now. Oh yeah, turn it off. To, yeah, the lights changed outside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My cat started now. He's just been parading up and down. He was obviously trying to get in on the action. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Tiger's not afraid of dogs at all. I dog sit all the time, and he's not afraid of big dogs or anything. But he is so afraid of cats. <laughs> he hates them. Um, okay, so what was I saying? Uh, so prophetic stuff. Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of these authors were prophetic because I used to think it was because they could see the future so well, but I'm starting to realize it's because human nature doesn't change and it's sort of history is in cycles and they've seen it before sometimes. So they know where things are headed because you can look back at history and you can, you can, you can kind of predict the way people are going to ebb and flow in different directions. And so um, something like brave new world Huxley, when he wrote it, I believe he wrote it in the 30s. And by the time he he wrote the foreword to the re-release, when they re-released it in the in the 40s, so just like 10, 12 years later, he wrote a foreword where he said, um, you know, I, some of these things I think are going to come to pass. Here's the things that I think would need to happen in order for society to become like this. And we've already seen some of these starting now. This was in the 40s he said that. It's wow. kind of amazing. Well, I, I can't remember where I heard this, but I remember somebody saying on a YouTube channel about the Roman Empire, and they compared the end of the Roman Empire with what's happening now. And one of the things that they said was that they became obsessed with themselves, you know, this narcissism. And yeah. there was a lot of cross-dressing going on, and there was the sexual immorality, which is, you know, whatever. But And what happened was that, a little bit like, uh, this is probably going to be controversial, but the emasculation of men particularly. So people, men will be being very female in their, you know, no longer able to fight, for example. And that the what they classed as the barbarians that were around saw this. And when the moment was right, they came in and basically that's how the Roman Empire ended. So it sounds like you're right with that, that it does... And we are at that point. So, what's going to happen? I mean, well, I could say what's going to happen in this country. I don't know what it would happen. What would happen in because uh, the strongest um, 
sort of culture in Europe at the moment is probably Islam. Mm -hmm. You know, they there's no um, Islamic men that think they're women. You know, and they, they don't subscribe to, you know, the stuff that, you know, the woke people subscribe to. And they see us now as very weak. So at some point, you know, will that be a tipping point for us? I don't know. But I think I think you're right. And, and you're bringing to mind just in the past year, I remember seeing this juxtaposition of two different ads for the military. And this yes. was maybe yes. six months ago. Do you remember? There was a video. Exactly yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was the video where it was like it was some recruiting ad for the US Army and it was all about this. We had one as well. We had a British really? exactly the same. Yeah. It was a girl raised by two mommies, and then oh. she goes on to be in the army. And it was very, you know, woke and feel good and like any positive. And and then I saw this Russian ad for the military, and I I don't speak Russian, but it was like like it was just it was, it was just, just kill, masculine kill, die, kill, 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 kill. yeah <laughs> i'm like look at who they're recruiting and look at what who we're recruiting it's kind of concerning yeah, the, the british one went through kind of every kind of person that is in, in the woke umbrella so they oops, they said uh, are you a you know are you a muslim you'll be able to pray when you want and then it had this scene where there was all these army people and then the muslim praying in the middle of a battlefield you know and it's kind of like oh well that's going to work isn't it you know because the other side <laughs> are really going to respect that you know and then you had um what was it a gamer you know some stoner boy that only ever plays games all day we want you because we want what was it we want your obsession you know and it's like they were picking out all of the what we would probably say flawed parts of the woke world and trying to make them positive. And you just think, well, where are the people that are going to do the things that aren't nice? You know, yeah. where are the people that are going to go in and assassinate somebody or, you know, have to kill someone? Or Because this takes us back to what we were saying earlier about the apology thing and then other countries and, you know, no people not having any idea that the enemy won't respect your wokeness on the battlefield. You know, no, they're not going to... No. I, I don't know, it's just, oh, you know, because there was recently a, um, a British woman in the army and she left and she's now uh, suing them because of bullying. But basically, they what happened, it wasn't very nice what happened to her, but it was all verbal, it wasn't anything physical. But the, the lads in her regiment kind of basically picked on her and they did this thing where they, um, they you know, were sort of humiliating her. And my response to that was, well, you failed the first test. You know, you're in a male environment where people are going to be killed. You know, what do you think will happen if you're caught by the enemy? You know, who are you going to cry to when they probably rape you? They will interrogate you for days on end. They'll probably beat you and torture you. What are you going to do? If you can't stand up to, you know, people teasing you and you're in the army, really, you need to think about why you're there. Because, the you know, at the end of the day, this is why I think... Um, is it hazing? Is it called hazing in the army mm -hmm. where they do cruel things to each other? I think it's based on you're going to be tortured potentially yeah. if you're captured. And this is a way, you know, you've got to be able to do these humiliating things because you won't survive unless you can do it. So I think there's a darkness in things like the army that has to be there. And it's not nice. No, it's not nice. But these are people who are going to be dying for the country, you know, or dying for the cause. And, and they will be killed if they aren't strong enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I so like going back to the advert, it's like, what are we creating? We're creating these armies of 
people that you know one probably won't work longer than seven hours a day you know they're going to say oh it's seven you know after seven hours right i need a break now well what happens in war you know it's like oh yeah everyone stops fatigue <laughs> you know yeah. it's like the, you like... Know, the football game on new on christmas day you know every day though you know at that time it just doesn't work like that in the real world you have to have hard people that are willing to do the hard jobs you know and i think the the whole woke world is absolutely destroying us as a culture because you know we haven't talked about this but you know the whole everybody gets a trophy thing it's mm -hmm. that kind of thing you've got to learn to lose you've got to learn to be picked on you've got to learn to be bullied even and it's not nice but if you're not strong enough you're not strong enough to live you know in this society you know and that's where we're going you know and yeah. that's how whoever invades us when the day comes will fall yeah because the people that are who are mentally strong enough are probably going to be too old yeah there's no you're making me think of a i really want to do a, a comedy sketch where it's like you're on the battlefield and you're like excuse me where's the gender neutral bathroom like, <laughs> yeah you just you, you misgendered me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh you have to laugh at it which by the way this brings me to one of the things i wanted to ask you about humor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How important is humor to pushing back against bad ideas, bad behavior, bad ideology? Absolutely the most important thing. It's important for our well-being. I don't think it gets us anywhere in terms of having a communication, you know, or a dialogue with the people on the other side. Because like we were saying, they just don't get it. They don't understand humor. But for us, we have to just to, you have to see the stupidity of it. You know, because otherwise it's depressing. You know, you have to laugh because otherwise the way our society is going, you know, none of us are going to be able to speak. We're not going to be able to say a word to anybody else in case we offend someone. I mean, it's bad here. Uh, I don't know whether you know about this, but there's now a new law. Well, I say new. It's been around for a few years now in this country where the it's a hate crime law where your intent is irrelevant. It's what the offended person feels that determines whether you've committed a crime or not. Oh, gosh. So, Neil, yeah. that's that's straight from social justice ideology. And it's real. You know, people might not believe what I'm saying, but it is real. So, for example, if I tell a joke with you now, I mean, it could happen to any of us. And I'm probably giving them ideas, but you watch what happens. You know, they could say, oh, he offended me, even though I didn't speak to them. You know, and then the police will, they, whether they prosecute is down to them and that's a different matter, but they will investigate it. So they will come to the door and say, you know, we want to check, you know, what you meant by this when you said it, you know, and they kind of put the fear of God into you a little bit. Whether you got prosecuted is another matter. I think it, you know, would depend on whether there was any evidence for it. But there was the, um, I mean, the, one of the test cases for it was the um, the Nazi pug dog in Scotland. I don't know if you yep. know about that story. Um, yeah, he, he was found guilty, you know, and they took the fine out of his account without his permission. So he couldn't even refuse to pay because he was going to refuse, I believe, he was going to refuse so that they would send him to prison. You know, he was going to be a bit of a martyr for the cause. But they took the money at source without him even knowing. So, uh, yeah. For anybody who's not familiar, this was uh, several years ago now, and it was one of those canary in the coal mine moments where you can see where society's heading. And this was this comedian youtube personality count dankula 
he did this funny video with his girlfriend's pug dog when she was out of town. He he even he was like, my my girlfriend's dog's so cute. I wanted to, I wanted to do something funny and make make her dog into the worst thing I could think of. So I was gonna make the dog a Nazi. And then you see this video montage of him getting the dog to salute and he's saying awful, awful things like, and what do you think about that? And the dog's like on board, but the, the joke being that this is a cute dog and you're training him to be the worst thing you can think of, which is a Nazi. <laughs> they said this is offensive and anti-Semitic. Yeah. He's making fun of Hitler, but <laughs> it's anti-Semitic, right? So yeah. then they convicted him. They convicted him. And I remember at the time people were thinking, I know some people were thinking, this is an anomaly. This is not where things are headed. And now flash forward, we're in a place where even in uh, parts of Canada now and in the U.S., you're seeing them uh, go after people's bank accounts, turn off their ability to access their funds, like they did with him taking the money directly out of his account after he was found guilty. It was a real canary in the coal mine moment well it's funny with the whole anti-semitic thing because um one of the things i've done right from the beginning is because somebody once before the block magazine started called me literally hitler and then it kind of became literally i changed it to literally nitler so you know to have a pun in the world. So, so i've been calling myself that sort of as a you know this is my starting point i am literally Hitler, you know, yeah. so then whatever happens after that is going to be good, you know what I mean? Uh, or hopefully. And that they accuse me of anti Semitism because of that. And it's like, hang on, what is this? Are you telling me that we can't make fun of Hitler? You know, yeah. th that's the point. Nobody was making fun of people that had died in the war. You know, it wasn't saying, oh, you're, well, I'm not even going to say it because they'll accuse me of yeah. using that. You know, nobody was saying anything like that, you know, and it's, well, this, uh, oh, sorry, go on. Yo, yeah, you're right. You should make fun of Hitler. You should make your dog Hitler. Like <laughs> your dog. I mean, that what's more offensive if, if Hitler were still alive? What's more offensive? It's like you're 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 making fun of him and mocking him and you're you're admitting in the case of Count Dankula, like this is the worst thing you could call yeah. someone yeah. because you think it is awful. So there's no but again, they they don't they don't play fair. They don't engage fair. They're not reasonable people. So, you know, you making a joke, which is, I love, I love puns, literally Nittler. That's hilarious. <laughs> you're doing two things. You're taking the insult and you're making a joke out of it. Yeah. The attempted yeah. insult, the defamation that they're doing by calling you such an awful thing. You're making it funny, which they can't stand. Yeah. And then that takes the power out of it, their their ability to insult you with it. How dare you? How dare you, well, Neil? The latest one is um, I'm a mediocre man. So obviously I'm I'm gonna use that now. You know, I'm just a mediocre man, just mediocring <laughs> through my mediocre life with a mediocre magazine, talking about mediocre things. You know, I'm happy being mediocre, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> with it's my ugly I like the way you say ugly. I like your accent. One of my ugly cats. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, he's here. He heard you calling. Hi, kitty. There's his tail. An ugly tail. So why don't we, um, I so appreciate you being here with me today. And no, it's been fun. Thank you. I, I want to make sure people know where they can find you if they want to follow 
this mischievous troublemaker with the ugly cats. <laughs> uh, what is it? How can they follow you online and where can they find Blocked Magazine? Uh, well, you have to go on Instagram, really. So I'm, I'm active on Instagram at Blocked Mag, M-A-G, because somebody has Blocked Magazine and it's a porn site. Oh. So whether, whether that was created um, after or before, I'm not entirely sure. But um, uh, yeah, so Blocked Mag, don't get it mixed up. Uh, and also I'm on Instagram as You Knitted Kingdom. So it's UK. So you knitted kingdom that's um, also a great pun <laughs> and on the united kingdom one is where i share the pictures of my ugly cats more than uh, anything else um oh and just as well i'm no longer going to be on facebook or twitter because i've got a stalker who is um uh impersonating me and doing all sorts of weird things so i just thought right keep it simple if it's on twitter or facebook it's not real you know, and then that way people will know. I only do stuff on Instagram generally. Well, uh, oh, I'm really the magazine, sorry. Um, the magazine you can find if you go on my Instagram on both of the Instagrams, so either United Kingdom or Blocked Mag, I have a link tree in, and you can go to any of the. And I also put the interviews I've done with people in there as well. So I'll probably try and put this one in there at some point. Yeah. Um, and so I've got issue one and issue two. Issue three will be released in May. And I've got a feeling there's been another cancellation since Christy Glass, so I'm going to be talking about that. And that one is a real interesting story because there's more twists and turns in that than, uh, put it this way, a cancel, um, or how do you, one of the people that cancel people has been cancelled. Oh, that's always so, interesting to see yeah. so when they turn. Eating their own. When they eat their own. Yeah, yeah, so for anybody who's interested, this this magazine is really fun. It's a combination of, as you said, knitting patterns and um, also articles about yeah. cancellations and the stuff that's happening in the knitting world. You're sort of shining a light on all of these bullies. And, and yeah. um, it reminds me, because it's this independent mag, it's just getting off the ground. It reminds me of back when I was in social justice, and I was one of these people years and years ago. Uh, I, I really loved this magazine called Bitch Magazine. It was a, right. kind of an underground feminist. It felt like independent. And, mm. and it was so different than the corporates, the, the sort of commercial stuff. I, it was very different than Ms. Magazine, which was another film. And yours has the feel, not in content. It's totally different. Mm. But it has that real organic, independent feel, almost well, like a zine. Well, I've it. had a lot of criticism from the woke saying that my graphic design choices are like fifth grade, you know. And it's like, yeah, I'm an amateur, <laughs> you know. I'm an, I'm an artist, so I can draw. But my graphic design skills, I'm learning as I go along, you know. And I think I that's one of the things I liked, what you said about the organic thing, you know. it's I like the fact that it isn't slick. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I am just making this up as I go along, you know, and the people that are joining in, like in the last magazine, a 14-year-old girl did an, an article in the last magazine, and uh, in the last issue, sorry. And it really gave me hope for future. Because it's like, I mean, I know it's only in the knitting world, but I thought, yeah, a 14-year-old girl who's a knitter is already recognising the yeah. madness that's going on. So that means there is some hope for us. You know, is she is she representative of the you know that age group across the you know 
the whole spectrum of cultures you know is this a, a new movement towards being slightly more conservative and you kind of hope it is really mm -hmm. um but yeah all of the people that contribute you know they they're all amateurs nobody gets paid it's free nobody has to pay for anything you can donate to my patreon um you know if you want to help me carry on doing it but it's not you know i will do it even if nobody donates because it's a bigger issue than money um, yeah. Oh, and that annoys them. Sorry, I'm going on a bit too much now. It no, really annoys them that I'm doing it for free uh, because they, I say they, the other side to our argument, they have their own e-magazine, which I didn't realise was the same as mine in, a, in effect, but they charge $45 for an online magazine. So you don't even get a physical magazine in your hand. And it's $45. Well, and for that, I would expect, you know, the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, with hardback covers, you know. So everything they do seems to be about making money. And I don't think they understand why someone like me isn't interested in making money. You know, because no. if I make money, great. But, you know, I'm, that isn't the drive for doing it. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> no, they, they also, they, social justice people, it's become very common for them to also uh, uh, demand money just to have a conversation with you online. They'll say, oh, it's emotional labor. You have to pay yeah. me for my emotional labor. Here's my coffee link, you know, like, yeah. uh, I just paying for badges as well. Yeah. There's one, <laughs> um, there's one particular one. One of the worst ones is, um, that I call her fleecing the disturbed. Um, and that's a pun on her real title. Um, but she um, she charges $60 per hour to tell white people that they're racist. <laughs> and they, they gratefully pay it. <laughs> yes. There are so many like this who do these uh, dinner. Oh, what was the one it used to be called? It was basically a dinner party where you and your wealthy white female friends would pay these two women to come in and berate you about how racist you were over dinner <laughs> and they were making a killing, you know, <laughs> it's almost like some kind of misogyny thing, you know, you want to be abused, you know, it's, yeah. it's but it comes from that thing of every, every white person is a racist, except some are less racist than others. But right. your starting point is you are a racist just because of the color of your skin. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a really miserable religion. I've oh, I've shit. I've investigated several different kinds of belief systems since I left social justice and I haven't investigated one quite as miserable as that one. <laughs> so uh look, you guys are welcome to leave it at any time if you're watching. <laughs> Did I tell uh, you that they sorry I'm, I keep adding no, this on and um, that um they held a minute silence for all the black women that had been hurt by the magazine's release, the first issue. What? <laughs> yeah, they held a minute silence online. Well, it's a comedy sketch. It really is. <laughs> yeah, they were doing this thing. Oh, I've got to say this, sorry. I've got to tell you Go this. Go do they, it. Uh, they, uh, they did these things, these little videos, where they were saying, why doesn't he come and talk to me to my face rather than saying these things in his magazine about me? You know, talk to my face. And one in particular called um, Gay Gillespie, who's... Uh, sort of username is Gigi. She did one video where she said it five times. I actually made a montage of it. So I did. I sent them an email and I said uh, to three of them. So I sent Adela an email, Gigi an email, and the Disturbing the Fleece um, woman an email. 
saying, you know, do you want to respond to what I've written about you in the magazine? Oh, well, then it was, he's harassing black women. He's oh, constantly yeah. harassing black women and making new accounts. It's like, no, I didn't. I emailed you with my account. You know, it's like not a made up account. And I asked you once. And so now, you know, that's what they say that I go around harassing black people or black women. You yeah, see? you can't win. Yeah. It's like, and before I was evil for talking behind their back, you know, not having the courage to talk to their face. <laughs> they don't want a conversation. There's no. nothing that you can do that will, it has to be a change from within them. And some people, I think people who are in it with good intent, those are the ones that can't, they can change. I changed. I've seen people change who were in it. But there's also a lot of people in it with bad intent. I don't know these three accounts, but it sounds to me like some of them might have bad intent. And those people are just using it to gain power, money, fame. You know, it's like yeah. those yeah. three things. It's just an avenue. Just like Han artists throughout history have used any different, any belief system. Yeah. Lots of different kinds of, lots of different religions have been used for by Han artists. And, and those people, it's, it's, no, they won't change unless they see the opportunity change to get money, fame, and power somewhere else. And then it's like, oh, well, they won't go there. Well, I'm almost at a point now where I kind of it's kind of going against what my original belief of this was, is that I think it's too late to even communicate some with them now. You know, it's almost mm -hmm. like we need to cut off all ties in a way. I mean, I'm not entirely, you know, certain of what I'm thinking with this, but it's like, you know, every time I've tried you know, with good intent, because I don't insult people. You know, if I'm talking to them, they'll be insulting me and I just talk about the issue or try to, but they will call me every name under the sun, you know, every bigoted, racist, homophobic, trans, whatever they can think of to throw at me. Um, and it's like, well, what, how can you talk to that person? You know, there's they're, they're so far gone. And like you said, they have to come to that conclusion themselves. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit like trying to help somebody with um, depression. You know, you can't really. They have to get to a point where they are willing to get their own help. You know, you can't help somebody with depression because they're usually so in their own world that they can't respond to it. And I think that's what these people are like. And also a lot of them, and I'm, uh, I'm when I say they've got mental health issues, I'm not talking about depression or anxiety. I think a lot of them are seriously mentally challenged in the sense that they have narcissism, personality. Yeah. disorders yeah very the personality disorders are very interesting because they're they get lumped in so often with just under the banner of mental health issues but yeah. they're very different i mean a, a person with a cluster b personality disorder and that's what you're talking about like yeah. borderline or histrionic or narcissistic or um antisocial they don't that's not like a passing uh, uh, like depression or anxiety or, th or things that everyone might go through at some point in their life and come out of. This is actually a disorder of their entire character. It used to be, they used to be called character disorders and it, it's a very different beast. And I think that, that people who have those disorders have, have for too long benefited from being lumped under the umbrella of mental health problems where it's like, Oh, I, I'm going to sympathize with you because you have this issue. And it's like, you are a bad person. This is, a, this is a, you have a bad character and yeah. I, it's, it's different than, oh, you're suffering well, from depression. You have a well, bad depression. Yeah. It, it could happen to any of us at any time, you know? So we, right, I think right. we, we have a sympathy for people that are going through that because it could happen and it can be triggered by, you know, 
at things that have happened, somebody dying or a breakup or whatever, that can create depression. But I don't think anything will create a narcissist as an mm. adult. You know, I can't imagine that that would be something you just slip into. Um, so why we have the same sympathy. And also the other one that's in there is body dysmorphia, you know, which of all types, because one of the things I always say is we don't validate an anorexic. We don't turn to an anorexic and say, yes, you are fat. But we are with people who say they're trans. We're saying, yes, you are a woman inside. But, you know, it's the same thing. When, you know, they see, it's this thing of, you know, being born in the wrong body. Nobody's born in the wrong body. You're born in your body. You know, whether you like that body is, is irrelevant, but, you you know, you're not born into a wrong body at all. You know, and I, th I do think that it's um, that body dysmorphia is what it, what trans issues are, for example. That is what it is at the end of the day. And I'm sure if they could find a way to treat body dysmorphia in terms of anorexia, that they would be able to treat people who think they're trans. And I think that's the, the sad part of the trans issue at the moment. Yeah, which next time we speak, if we if we if we can do another one at some point, I'd yeah. like to talk about a trans issue that's happening in the knitting world at the moment as well, because um, that's been on my mind, and I'm I'm debating whether to write about it, but it's but it's one that I know I will get a lot of kickback for, possibly even from you know my own readers. So I'm still debating whether to do it. I um, would love to talk about that, and maybe next time I have you on, we could do a live one. Okay. That would be fun. Oh, that'll really be in trouble then, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Neil. Again, Thank the magazine you. is called Blocked. You can find him on Instagram at Blocked Mag or Unite United Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> United Kingdom. Thank you again, sir. Hope to have you back soon. Thank I hope you. you have a lovely day. Okay. And it's a wrap in broadcast. And breathe. <laughs>